0: The market has been created by men.
1: It's not a crime to be a 44-year-old white male either.
0: Rob Moore, multi-millionaire, property developer, host of Disruptors Podcast and money expert. His mission is to help you overcome your limiting beliefs about money.
1: There are about 25 million men that would say Andrew Tate is good for society.
0: And that terrifies me.
1: Is it not good? for people who want there to be less of a gender pay gap than someone like Andrew Tate's Yeah, opinion. It's
0: good, but not when you're denying its existence. So you're always gonna have
1: two sides of an argument, aren't you? Well,
0: and surely did. you want
1: people wading in. Him wading in, whether you agree or not, all of a sudden, 20 million people are discussing it. You what know? do you
0: think about feminism? Ooh. Why are you obsessed with money?
1: Most people do not know anything about money. I'm not going around judging anyone who's broke and happy. What I'm trying to do is educate people who are broke and unhappy. I'm here opening my soul on the anatomy of a leader saying, bring it.
0: In this episode of Anatomy of a Leader, I grill Rob Moore. Well, he did ask for it. He gets very heated. Even the camera stops working when we discuss Andrew Tate. Spot the moment when the camera stops working. Write down the exact time in the comments below. Or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and subscribe to the show. And I will pick a winner and send you a copy of Rob Moore's book, Money. Oh, and at the end, he hands me some cash. So stick around to find out how much I take from him. Rob. Welcome to an Hello. leader. So good to have you on the show. <laughs> Take four. Take four. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me into your home. It's lovely. Thank it's you. got character and history and it's lived in.
0: Is that just a nice way of saying it's messy? No. So what makes it lived in?
1: Character. The sunglasses have got their own place. The shoes have got their own place. The toys have got their own place, so they've got a little bit of a mind of their own. Yes. And, and maybe 20 minutes before we turned up, it was all shoved in. The...
0: Very observant of you. Mm,
1: thanks for inviting me here. No,
0: my pleasure. Because you are the property entrepreneur, I guess all of these small details are like very telling to you, so you pay attention more to that. Would you say that?
1: Um, well, when it comes to property, that really was my business, mm. and that was how I made my, I guess, what you could say, my fortunes or my empire. So this is a home, not an investment property. Mm. But um, I love going into other people's homes. I don't do it much because I'm not particularly social and I'm not just going to knock on people's doors. But, you know, most um, podcast interviews I've done, I don't go to their homes. I actually think it's fascinating that um, you've got your studio here. Mm. I mean, what if you had a really awkward, weird interview with someone Mm. And they're in your home.
0: Well, I did think about that, because when Harry messaged and said, oh, you know... We come, <laughs> Rob I'm, might be a weirdo. I've never seen him. He's not on social hey, media. What? Me? No, him. I'm
1: all over the place. No, you are. <laughs> yeah. But how
0: would I know that he's associated with you, right? Yeah. So sending my address did feel a little bit...
1: Yeah, like, don't worry. We won't save it in Sat Nav. <laughs> okay. We won't put it on a story on Instagram. Like, oh, is it
0: really you turning off today? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't completely sure, you know? But, um... No, well, thank you so much for saying that about my home. I mean, we've mm. lived here for like 30 years, yeah. so I've definitely lived in. Having to deal with deciding what you do with your property, because you can get so attached. Do you have that? Yeah. Or do you get attached no. to anything? No. No.
1: I get attached to the money. Because if I want to live in it, I get attached to it. I love, the, you know, I want a beautiful art. I want the house laid out just how I want. You know, I want a zen, tranquil space to work. And to be... This is why, you know, when people say, oh, you should rent and not buy, I don't agree with that because, you know, this is a nice and tranquil space where you can both work Mm -hmm. and you can bring people and do a podcast in. Wouldn't be the same if it was a rental. So, no, my house, I want to make a home. But when it comes to making money, what you want to make a home probably won't make money. What you want to make money on is something different. So I'll buy dilapidated stuff and do them up or I'll buy commercial and convert. So if this was in... Let's say this was in the town centre in Peterborough, but there was a shop on the, fr- on the bottom floor. I'd buy it. I'd probably either sell or rent the shop and then I'd convert flats, which obviously you see all around here in London um, because it's a business. It's not, you know, if you run a business with your heart, it's very hard to make it commercially viable for the long term you can put heart into a business but if you let your heart rule rather than your head i I don't think that's a good recipe
0: Mm. talking about money so my favorite subject is your favorite subject and i'm gonna get to that so when you were when it was the whole clubhouse rage i remember logging on i was pretty much like devoting my life to it but not as much as you, you <laughs>
1: yes there. so you but weren't as sad time, as me is what you're saying every
0: time i go like there you were and i have to say that at that point that's probably when i've learned about you and i have made like massive assumptions about you go on
1: then tell me them i'm
0: fascinated i think i need to warm up a little bit but, ah, uh, um
1: don't, don't wriggle out of that one i won't uh, do you I know think, one of the to things? Get to
0: know you a little bit. No, no, no. I, don't. Can I, share.
1: I really like it when people make assumptions about me and then mm. meet me because yeah. actually I try not to do that um, because I think you don't know someone until you get to know someone.
0: I think you try not to do that, but I think it's very hard not to. Because so we, come on, then
1: what are these assumptions? I'm
0: going to get to them, but not now. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I want but you're going to forget. With you're going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> but when I learnt that you've written 18 books,
1: 19 now,
0: 19 books, 20th, I was very intrigued. I'm
1: being I'm writing my 20th as we
0: Amazing. speak. Yeah. So it's like somebody who takes the time and effort to write books which are mostly for the purpose of sharing knowledge or imparting helping something. People helping helping improve people improve their lives. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's that's interesting. And I, I get about like not making judgments. And I try to do the same, but I think it's impossible as a human being not to have some kind of bias or thought or Especially opinion.
1: Especially someone who has anxiety as a trigger that could trigger some judgments couldn't it
0: that's interesting Mm. that's very interesting and Mm. that probably plays into that Mm. um and you talk about the book that you have written that's your favorite book which is money so why are you obsessed with money This episode is sponsored by HVO Search, a specialist executive search and talent advisory firm helping founders, CEOs, and HR directors hire the most in-demand and best C-suite talent. Tired of seeing the same old CVs and uninspiring candidates? Reach out to me, Maria Vorostovsky, to find out how your business can skyrocket with the best talent. So why are you obsessed with money?
1: Right, this is my favourite subject. Here's why I'm... Well, I'm actually not obsessed with money. That's a a fallacy. I was more obsessed with money when I didn't have any. I don't know if you've ever been broke. I have. But when you're broke and you can't even afford food and you can't afford to go out and you're looking in your bank account all the time hoping that there's £10 in it, you're obsessed. But you're obsessed about what you haven't got, which is money. I'm not obsessed about money anymore because I've got plenty of it and I don't have to obsess over it. So that's, you know... I have focused on money, I've made it my mission to make money and and try to do it in a a fair and ethical and sustainable way. So here's why I I love money and I'm...
0: Before you go talking about how to make it in a fair and a sustainable way, was that important to you before you had money or is that something that you arrived to?
1: Okay, so um, I think when you're broke, it's okay to be a bit selfish, i.e. I just need to get out of debt. I'll do whatever needs to be done. You know, I'm not not a philanthropist. I just need to get out of debt. Mm. But once you've made a lot of money, you're not going to grow that wealth unless you help a lot of people. You know, in my formula for wealth, um, which is perceived value plus fair exchange times leverage. Leverage is the amount of people you reach or the amount of units you sell. Um, And once you've become financially free or a millionaire or a billionaire, then you know making money becomes something bigger than just the money itself because you don't just need the money itself now some people it's power corruption and control but for many people it's legacy it's giving back i mean buffett's donating billions to the Mel- melinda and bill gates foundation so i think when i became a, 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 a more than a million but less than 10 million net worth a low level millionaire i was like this is nearly enough now and you know, I could get a 100 grand watch or a 200 grand car, and it, it's nice, but it doesn't really impact my life. But I could use my leverage of my following on social media, and I could do a charity raise and raise 120 grand, or um, I've done quite a lot of things for my Rob Moore Foundation. At the same time, though, we were, like, I just went to buy a piece of Tom York's art. So I don't know if you know Radiohead, it's one of my favourite bands. And there's an exhibition, I just bought a piece of his art um and harry was like well you know you're not going to get a commission out of tom york because he's just not that kind of guy and he said you know but i bet you'd do a commission you know for the right money you know for 10 million would you copy a picasso from a billionaire i wouldn't copy a picasso for a billionaire for 10 million because i can't copy a, Cap- a picasso but i would say to the billionaire you would if you could well i would if i could but i can't so i'm not a fraud but what I would say to the billionaire is Tell you what, I'll do for five million. I'll do the best piece of art that I can do. And I'm uh, like, give, give me as many billionaires as you like, and I'm doing pieces for five million quid. I'll do and it. if you, you are, there you go. Mm. So I think we all have a price, and there's things that we can commercialize, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're being authentic. I wouldn't be authentic if I charge someone 10 million to paint a Picasso because I can't pay a Picasso. But what I am authentic in is saying, how about what I can do? I'll give you five million, fine, done. Mm. So that's kind of how I see money. Um, you know, I have a fair keynote speaking fee and I think my, that what I offer is fair for that. And then I do some for free. Mm. And sometimes I'm paid to be on podcast and sometimes I do them for free. But you can only make that choice when you've built your own level of wealth. So I think when you're broke, you probably are more selfish and it's okay to be more selfish because number one, you need to look after you. You can only look after your family once you've looked after you. You can only look after community once you've looked after your family. Mm -hmm. But once you've built wealth, I mean, if you look at rich people, I mean, there's a lady, I won't mention her name, but she gives a lot of money to charity. But she's one of the richest billionaires in the UK from gambling. And people say, oh, from gambling? I mean, I don't like gambling at all. I'd like to outlaw gambling. I think Mm -hmm. it's just terrible. Um, but she would argue that it's entertainment and it's necessary if it wasn't necessary. Now, I'm not judging her. I've not met her, but I know, I, I know of the story. tried to have her on my podcast. Um, why? But why? Mm. So then I could challenge her on these things. Mm. Um, but someone like that might say, well, there's plenty of other gambling firms and this is how we do it better and people will always pay for entertainment. So you've got to have your own morals and judgments as to what you're prepared to commercialise and what you're not. I used to be an artist and most artists have a real problem with commercial, commercialization, and they don't ever make enough money. And when you don't make enough money, you can't express your own art. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't do this podcast without these good cameras. You've got a good new camera there. You've got good microphones. They're very good. If, you, if, you had, like, if I came here and you had a little Zoom H1 and you're holding it under my... I'm going to be like, hmm, you need to invest in this, in this <laughs> podcast. Um, so, yeah, so you had an original question. And then you asked me the question I just answered. Can you remember the original question? Why
0: are you obsessed with money? That you're not obsessed with, but you... I'm
1: fascinated by yes. it. I think it's... Well, tell me the top five subjects that humans think about. And I'd be amazed if, in you did a wider poll, money's not in the top five.
0: No, I'm sure. I mean, I think Health, money is one of the most... Family. ...argued about... Money,
1: yeah. So ...conversations it, so, with, so between couples. Money could be... In the top three or five things that's most talked about about humanity. And it is, out of all of those, in my opinion, the least understood. Mm. Like, I, I have done 17 years of research, research and study around money. I've written books on money. I've just written my 20th book and the last two I've written on money. And people don't know anything about money. Most people do not know anything about money. Yeah, it's in the top three or five things that we, t- we talk about on a daily basis. So... Um, Is that not the most fascinating of subjects to try and find out how it works? Now, one thing I'll talk about money is, I want people to do this exercise. I think it's really fascinating. So anyone listening or watching, just follow me and do this. Imagine the nicest street in your area, if you do this with me as well. And imagine driving down that nicest street and parking outside the nicest house like the one you'd love, the dream house. And take a look through your car window and don't worry, no one's going to think you're a weirdo, but take a look out through and look at this grand house and think about what kind of person you perceive owns that house. Like picture them. Mm-hmm. Are they a man or a woman? Are they old or are they young? Are they a drug dealer or an artist? Or do they, um, are they on the board of Facebook? I don't know. I don't want to put things into people's heads. But here's the thing. You don't know who lives in that house. And you're going to build a picture of the person that you think lives in the house and you have no idea. Now, I'll tell you the picture I'd build. Entrepreneur, made loads of money, probably smart. I'd want to go and ring the doorbell and talk to them. I should maybe get them on my podcast. Whereas when I was broke, I think probably the biggest drug dealer in town, cleaning money, money, launderer, criminal. Because that was a reflection of my own. So the person you picture is the rich person is an internal reflection reflected out. But that's a fictional character. It's not a real character. That, I, that story, I think, embodies money. In that, money is neutral. It, 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 is this plastic good or bad? Like, like it, It's a piece of plastic. It's not good. If I give it to you, it's good.
0: Why is it good if you give it to me?
1: Because I've done a kind gesture.
0: But there's no expectations. No?
1: I mean, if I give it to you with expectations, it's not good.
0: But isn't it all just about how we perceive humanity and our own deep-seated beliefs, not just about yes. money, but what it, everything that it represents? Yes, because so... Because if you give me something... And if I believe like, oh, people are generous, then mm. I was like, okay, yeah. great. And I, or oh, I then you will great. Yeah.
1: So you will gratefully yeah. receive yeah. and you will look at everyone like they're generous mm. and you will send out that frequency and that vibration and you'll get that back. Mm. Whereas if you're like, cause if I handed that to you and you'd have ugh, no, and, sc- and scowled at me mm. and, and be like, what do you want? What are you trying mm. to buy? I'd be like, oh, okay, I better not do that again.
0: So your perception of money and how you view it. This is,
1: this you? is neutral. This, this is what you think this is, mm. but this isn't what you think it is. That's the par- the dual paradox of money. So dual paradox is anything can be good or bad, depending on how you perceive it. So mm. AI, good thing about AI is it could probably save a million lives. Bad thing about AI is it could probably take a million lives. So this I could give to 20 poor kids in the third world with genuine intent. And I could probably feed them for a week. Mm. With this one, I could buy a magazine of 20 bullets and get a gun and go and shoot 20 kids in a school, which money isn't any of those things. It becomes what I project onto it. So I use the the analogy in my new book, Money Matrix, about a hammer. So if I put a hammer on the table, you probably wouldn't judge that hammer. You know what that's for. There's a couple of pictures there that look like they need putting up. But I could take that hammer and smash your skull in with it. You wouldn't try the hammer and you wouldn't judge the hammer and you wouldn't say hammers are the root of all evil. It would be me who would be uh, in front of the judge and the jury. Money's like a hammer. A hammer's really good at nailing in a nail and levering one out. It's better than your hand. This is good at going to Pret-a-Manger or, um, where is it we went, Harry Leon? And get I've mean, got a delicious fish finger sandwich. I, like, I'm a sucker for a fish finger sandwich. I paid £7.50 for a um, fish finger sandwich. Now, imagine if I had to try and barter £7.50's worth. I had to go, go into Leon and go, ooh, I'll do your £7.50's worth of a dance, you know, to try and get this. Fi-. It's not, not efficient. So this is a tool like a hammer. With a hammer, you can smash someone's skull in, or you can go and create a beautiful piece of art and go and... Use a hammer to put it up on the wall and give someone joy. This is what people don't understand about money. They think money is what they are. But money is what it is. So if you want to change what money is, you have to change what you are.
0: Why is it important to you to teach others that money is neutral?
1: Um, I guess because... I was broke and I've been rich. And a lot of people judge the rich. But um,
0: Why did you judge the rich?
1: Because I was broke and I wanted to be rich and I wasn't rich. And I looked at the rich and I thought, you must have done that illegally or inherited it or, or been a drug dealer.
0: So you didn't have like a good examples of how you can earn your money in non-illegal, terrible ways? Oh, no, I didn't
1: have any examples of how to make money because I wasn't around people who made money. Mm. If I'd have been around people who made money and were generous and giving, that I would see people who made money as generous and giving so to you know your your environment as well as your family and the media and things like that that impacts what you think money is inside I was bitter and resentful I knew that I should have been an entrepreneur I knew that I wanted to make money and I knew that I could but I'd failed in my life in that that department and so I saw everyone else as a success, as lucky or done it illegally, because that made it okay for me to fail inside. And I'm a bit ashamed about that. And I'm really glad that I've changed that about myself. So because I've changed that about myself, and I like myself better, and my life is better for that change, why would I want not want to share that with other people? Also, I mean, if, if the whole of society knew this, and I was the last to know, I wouldn't need to talk about it. I was the last to get it. But no one fucking gets it. Like you hear people say all the time, well, "Money doesn't buy you happiness.
0: Mm-hmm. Buys you
1: nice cameras. Buys you a nice microphone. Buys you a nice school for your kids."
0: I so, mean, I don't believe that money doesn't. A lot buy of people happiness. do, though. They do, and there's all these studies saying, "Oh, after seventy thousand pounds, that you're bullshit. no longer happier." But happiness, and I love what you talk about happiness, as in. It's an emotion. It's part of a range of emotions that we experience. It's not just a stand like, oh, I'm happy. And now I'm happy for the rest oh, yeah, of probably, my life. Oh, yeah,
1: there's dozens of happiness emotions. You're there's right.
0: There's different ways of being happy. And I think one of the first and times... And one of them is to make
1: a lot of money.
0: Well, I mean, it's the thrill. <laughs> it's the dopamine hit. It's, it's more, feeling more than a dopamine hit. Well, you, know, yeah. you, you you are a better judge of your Hey, <laughs> You have more money in the bank than I do. So, you know, I'll take it from you. Mm. But, you know, it... It does help to, you know, it buys you safety, it buys you security, it buys health. you health, it buys you time, it mm. buys you a lot of things that make you happy eventually. So yeah, I'm or with make you your order. life easier. Yes.
1: And so therefore you can focus your anxieties on other things. Because mm. money doesn't take all your problems away. In fact, money sometimes makes bigger problems. I know this. Um, but when you don't have to worry about money, you can focus your anxieties In important areas to you, like your children, like your career, Mm. like seeing the world before you die, you know, these kind of things. But, you know, you say that you don't think that money doesn't buy happiness. But I mean, in in the Bible, it says that um, the love of money is the root of all evil. No. Humanity is the root of all evil. Not money. This can't be evil. It's not conscious.
0: But it's what people do with it. Yes. And so it's
1: the human, not the money.
0: Yes, true. But so the when Bible was wrong. You're a person who doesn't have money, and you watch how you know revolutions have been started over smaller things. That, but you mm. see somebody who large groups of people who don't know how to get it who don't understand it who resent it or see it as something terrible because they may see the rich and it's like well, why do they get to have that and then also you know showing their flashy cars driving those ferraris that you're resentful of or you know going on these holidays and yet not contributing to the rest of the society so you are involved so in So did charity. you say that people
1: buy all those things and don't contribute to society? I'm not saying
0: they don't. Well, they
1: do by buying all those things. The government controls the flow of money well, from the rich to the poor. So people like to blame the rich and the government like people to blame the rich. It's the government that distribute money the worst because taxes mm. is money distribution.
0: So my question is, do the rich have an obligation to make sure that some of that wealth is distributed downwards? Hmm,
1: That's a good question. I've not been asked that before in that way. Um, I think to a certain degree, yes, but they already do. You just don't know it. And let's use me as an example. I pay millions of pounds in taxes. Taxes is wealth distribution. I am already distributing millions of my pounds from my own coffers down to the recipients of tax, which is everyone else. Um, But here's the problem. The government managed that money really badly. So the mainstream media and the governments would love the rich to be blamed, so it's a distraction over there, it's not the government's fault. But if crime is high, the police is so underfunded, the NHS is drastically underfunded, Do you know, basically, um, theft is basically legal now because only one in 40 thefts actually come to a prosecution. Do you know, there's so much rape that goes on that is basically legal now because it doesn't get properly investigated. I am paying my taxes to redistribute my wealth that I fucking earned and gave 17 years of my life for to trust the state that it will distribute it and it doesn't. And I have to pay for the NHS. I've got a, a, a little... I've got some numbness in parts of my body at the moment. I'm a bit worried about it. I just want to get it checked. Mm. Um, It might be nothing. But I have to go to private to be able to get that checked. And someone in my organisation, she passed away through lockdown. And she probably wouldn't have if she could have got in a hospital. And that angers me. Mm. So every time, like, I'll spend money all around here. And um, so when a rich person goes to a new city... Because, you know, you get tourism, you get money from other countries. Well, any time a rich person goes through any town or city, they're throwing money all over the place. They might not be going, oh, here's 200 quid in a donation. And I'll go, where are all the homeless people? I'll give them a million pounds. But they're buying clothes and they're buying watches and they're buying art and they're buying fancy cakes and and everything else. Um, So that is also a form of distribution of wealth so the rich people distribute wealth already they're not given the credit for it and they do it better than the government could some do it more well that's up for debate i mean warren buffett is giving away billions and it's easy for someone sitting go yeah but he's worth 300 billion and he's only given away 100 billion and he's got 200 billion left so he should give away another 200 billion no you go and fucking earn another 200 billion and then you give it away <laughs> and what are these people who are judging all these rich people doing nothing they're they're being trolls on on social media so uh, and also don't forget how the rich people pay or don't pay their tax is supposed to be regulated and controlled by the government if you were a billionaire and you could pay 4% tax or 20% tax which one are you going to choose
0: well, for sure. Like, I wouldn't want to pay tax if I didn't have to. There you go. Yeah.
1: So if you, if you can get an accountant and a good lawyer yeah. and you can get 4% instead of 20%, you're going to choose 4%. Everyone listening to would probably charge 4%. And let's say you felt a bit guilty about that. Well, you're like, well, 4% of billions is still a lot. And I'll give a few million away to charity and I'll set up a foundation. You know, naturally, you're going to, through your own emotions, you know, give money away and, and do good things. You can't do good things when you don't have any money other than maybe yeah. rent your time.
0: That's true. My question also stems from once, and this is, again, making assumptions that everyone's like that and they're not, but there are groups of very rich individuals who become so isolated from, you know, even if they came from poverty or from, you know, not having money, once you end up in this world of driving luxurious cars and being surrounded in, you know, that becomes standard to you. That doesn't become extraordinary it's just what you get on a day-to-day basis why is that a problem that's not a problem for them because but everybody
1: comes becomes normalized by their surroundings don't they
0: They do but being so far removed from how the rest of the world lives and then becoming either judgmental about like oh well they're just like poor people they don't they're stupid because let's face it like not everybody i've never
1: met a rich person ever mm. and i know a lot that's mm. ever said Oh, they're just poor people. They're stupid. Never.
0: Entertain me. Is it possible that a rich person may say that?
1: Right. Um, it's possible. It's yes. possible that a poor person could say that the rich is a hoity-toity, upper-class snob. Yes. Neither of the neither the of each actually really know each other. No,
0: but the more you get separated into these categories, the more you don't understand each other. And that's why I'm saying is like should the rich who have gone through especially the ones who have self-made, or they have gone from that process of not having money to having money, understanding how the rest of the world lives, should don't they bear some responsibility to right some of the wrongs that they have seen along the way? Because Does it matter which way you make money? Like, are there things that you shouldn't be doing?
1: Well, to me, it matters. Right. I think it matters to anyone, and they will justify why they make money. I make money through training and education and information, and I think it's a hugely beneficial to society way of um, me making money. But some people say, oh, yeah, but you can just go on YouTube and, and borrow a book off someone and go to the library. Well, if you could do that and get rich, you'll be creating a course on that and ironically become the thing that you hate. I personally would never make money out of gambling it's, it's, not, it's because I don't believe that that helps people with money. But I bet if you had someone who owned a big gambling company here, they would justify it. Mm. So um, I have my own ethics and morals. You have your own ethics and morals. Um, so you, you, you mentioned in your description, do rich people have some obligation to right the wrongs along the way? I I think you have to get to know some rich people and listen to their story. Because if you've interviewed a hundred or a thousand rich people and they're all oligarch, greedy, capitalist, power hungry, corrupt, then, you know, there needs to be a bit of a shake up. But I haven't ever interviewed any of those. Now, maybe there are some and they're hiding in a communist country or they won't go on podcasts. I don't know. But I've interviewed 20 billionaires. I am wealthy. I know loads of rich people. And, you know, they do a lot of good in society. Mm. They give millions away. They set up charities and foundations. Well, what is better? Someone who earns 20 grand a, a, a year... And they give away a thousand pounds or someone who earns a hundred million a year and they give away a million pounds. Because the million is less of a percentage than the 200 million, but it's a hell of a lot more than 500 quid. Mm. I would argue that you can do more good with the million.
0: But there are more people who have 20,000 than there are people who have several million. So if all of those people did that on mass.
1: But they don't. So it, it's all sort of very well pointing the finger at the rich that they should be given away more. What I think someone should do is start with themselves. So yeah, if everyone who earns twenty grand a year gave away five hundred pounds, the world would be a better place. Most people who earn 10, twenty grand a year don't give away five hundred pounds. Mm but go and ask a load of them they, they will probably think they can't afford it uh, anyone I know who makes 100 million gives at least a, a million or two million or five million or 10 million of that away and don't forget everywhere they they go because you said they drive nice cars well do you know there's a mechanic that repairs that car who gets paid a lot of money you know that mechanic couldn't run his living if he didn't have some rich clients and you know if you ask anyone who's got rich clients their rich clients are their favorite clients and their rich clients tip them big go to a restaurant it's the rich people who tip big it's not the you know the poor people who tip big I'm not judging the poor by the way and we're here on this interview interrogation table um I'm not because you don't hear me ever going around judging the poor and by the way if someone is broke and happy I tip my hat and all good because you know would I take being broke and happy over rich and unhappy I actually would I would you know I don't think I could be broke and happy and I think I can be rich and happy but if you've got a gun to my head and it's broke but happy genuinely or rich and unhappy I'd take broke and happy I think you could be rich and happy I'm pretty happy and I'm pretty rich I'm not going around judging anyone who's broke and happy what I'm trying to do is educate people who are broke and unhappy and help them change their lives. That's my mission. And there's a lot... That's hard. Because they have all these beliefs. And you know, you've expressed some of them here. And any, any anti-rich belief is all going to mean you're always going to repel money. Notice you haven't taken the 20.
0: <laughs> I have a problem with money. I do.
1: Well, you can give it all to me then. Because I don't.
0: Looking back now...
1: You still need to I tell do. me about how you judged me.
0: I, I will. For me, the money comes with conditions or it has come with conditions in the past, so that's been my personal yeah, experience
1: but the past doesn't have to dictate the no, future
0: and and it's taken years of work to unpack some Good. of these things which are not just to do with money but you're money aware is part of, it. of it you're yes, conscious of it and you're I trying of, to
1: change it yes yeah
0: and I am completely one hundred percent with you in terms of educating people around the topic and I'm not saying the rich are bad, and I'm no. not saying I'm not no, judging the poor. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate yeah. in terms of understanding your perspective, and talking about you know, miss miss, what's the word? What's the word now? Misogyny. No, we'll get mis- to that. Oh, okay, so, right, that's the next topic. <laughs> Oops, <laughs>
1: put my foot in it there.
0: Um, so we've got misconceptions, right? Talking about how I felt about you, I think it was. But I didn't see you, your face. It was your voice. Mm. And your voice triggered me. Oh, wow. It did. And the swearing. Yeah. So that triggered me as well. So
1: what What about the, my voice triggered you? Just, is it harsh or is it aggressive or loud? It was...
0: Loud um, I'm trying to... I'm trying to think.
1: Don't dance around it.
0: No, I'm not trying to dance around it. I'm trying to find the right words to express it to the best of my ability so mm. that it's correct Yeah. for what I'm actually. Remember, English is my second language. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was triggering me because I felt that you were almost shouting at the people and trying to convince them of a certain point of view and swearing. And I didn't listen to it that much. So I didn't really get into get involved mm. in the conversations. And I don't remember precisely what you were saying. But then when I went and I was watching some of the YouTube videos, the podcast and some of the conversations that you had, when people do grill you and do challenge you, what you say is... More in line with my values than how you say it. But I think, you know, in person you also come across as different mm. than when you come across on the screen. Yeah. Well, well, it was an
1: audio. It wasn't even, like you said, it wasn't even a face, was it? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm always fascinated by those first impressions. I don't really have a problem with that mm. because it's something that you noticed. And I'd rather you notice me than you didn't. And I also know it's not... It, where I am that? me. Why is that?
0: Yeah. Why well, do if you, you, want you don't notice? Well,
1: if you don't notice me, I can't come on your podcast. Can't get my message out to people. We can't possibly collaborate in the future. You know, I know you've done a good couple of hundred episodes or maybe you might bring me back on your 500th if this is, you know, really well downloaded. We might see each other at a podcast show sometime and we're going to, you know, we've, we've started a relationship, a collaboration or whatever. But if you don't know who I am, that can, that can never happen.
0: So does it, does it matter how you get attention?
1: Well, I, I don't, I'm not being me just for attention. I'm being me because I am me.
0: So it's not deliberate is what you're saying that's just how
1: I'm being me yeah well well I am definitely being me a lot more now at age 44 than I was age 35 or 25 here's the irony I was most confused about me at ages 14 and 21 um, and I was probably trying to be much more of something than I wasn't but I used to hate that about myself but I don't now because we're all trying to find who we are mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how you felt as you you know moved from 20s to 30s but I'd probably say in my 30s there was really good discovery about who I am mm-hmm. and probably between you know the late 30s and early 40s I'm like I'm actually quite happy and content and comfortable I'll give you an example I don't like the way I sound you know if I were to If I were to listen to myself back on this audio, I would not like how I sound. I would much more like to speak like this. And my daughter, she speaks so well. She's so posh and she speaks like this. And daddy. And many times I've thought I should try and practice speaking differently. But it's just not me. Mm. I am me. And so swearing is, I'm not trying to trigger you by swearing. I'm swearing. I've sworn a couple of times in this episode. It's up to you whether you um, beep it out or not. But I'm swearing when I'm passionate. You know, I wasn't being rude to you. you. You know, when I was defending the rich. You know, I was. Which I'm. Uh, yeah, someone needs to. Are you to.
0: defending the rich? <laughs>
1: I'm. In some regard, yes, against Mm. mainstream media and governmental propaganda, yeah. Because remember, let's just go back to that. Imagine if all the taxes you gave to Elon Musk and Richard Branson in the UK and America, who would you bet would use that money best for society? The governments or Richard Branson in the UK and Elon Musk in America?
0: I don't know them well enough to comment, but from the way that government has been behaving, I don't have um, much faith no, than that
1: there, there you go yeah. yeah so um how you judged me um like yeah i would rather you judged me than you didn't know me i mean would you know is the soft nice cuddly fluffy side of me want everyone to like me on first instance well yeah but you that's said
0: a, that you that's,
1: that's only an insecure version of me who doesn't know themselves like you know you meet people and they're just like your best friend straight away you should smell a rat because they're probably a narcissist. So I'd much rather re- meet someone. I'm like, yeah, they're authentic. Rather than, oh, love you, love you. Love you. And, and I, you know, I was authentic on Clubhouse. I really was. I, I didn't ever come out of a room thinking, ugh, I've made my skin crawl there. I didn't like who I was. I mean, sometimes I was testing racy headlines and sometimes I was having a discussion and debate with someone, which I like. Mm. But, you know, I would rather you get triggered by me and remember me for being who I am Mm. than like me for someone I'm not. So I'll I'll take that. We're here. We're now.
0: Yeah. I'm actually one of my favorite questions, which you use in your podcast is like, I don't remember exactly how you phrase it, but how I phrase it is like, what misconceptions do people have usually about you? Mm. So what's that?
1: Um, I think that they think I'm maybe a little bit more mercenary and capitalist than I actually am.
0: What do you think gives people that impression?
1: I'm the guy that will talk about anything about money, whereas most people in this country, they worry about being judged for talking about it. I'll give you an example. I was in a Telegram group and someone said, well, you know what, most millionaires, they're pretty humble and, you know, they drive German cars and, you know, they don't flash their wealth. And I said to him, and I was being, I was really honest, I said to him, I really respect that. I really admire someone who's got in the low-level millions and is living a humble life and is not showing it off. But I couldn't live like that because I fucking love cars and I love watches and I loved them since I was a kid. I loved the Ferrari Testarossa 1987 and I bought one. And that's just not me. And to be able to, like, be authentic and be honest. Like, if you ask most men if they would... Take 10 million quid and buy. In fact, ask most men, what your favorite, what your top three cars? Your daily, your classic, and, you know, and your hypercar. And then they said, and then you said, oh, you can have them, because I'm Mr. Beast, and I'm giving away cars. None of them go, nah, I don't want them. No, no, no. So most men want cars. Not all, but most. But we all have passions. And some, for some people, it's collecting comics and whatever else. But you know, money gives you the ability to do that. And for years, I was like, oh, well, maybe I should be more humble. And then social media comes along and it wants you to do clickbait. So then I'm like, maybe I should be more rah-rah and blingy. Mm. More humble, more braggy. More humble, more braggy. And, you, and in the end, hopefully, you find your own voice. And I do feel like for maybe eight years now, if you go back through my content, I think in the early years, I'm a bit strained. I think the intention is good, otherwise I wouldn't be here. Mm. But you can tell I'm a bit strained. Like, I was much more shouty when I was younger. I was, I was much more... In fact, I was, all these in-your-face people now, I was kind of a bit before the time, but I don't know, it was a bit not me. So th- and then what so happened, the
0: shouty part is not you. I
1: mean, if you watch me on stage on a live tour, you hear me shout and rant.
0: Well, and, you're on stage, you need to be heard at the back of the room, I get that. Yeah. Like, I come from a family of performers, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm all, all over the place. Um, and then what happened was, you know, I'd get a lot of attention and then my business partner, my MD and my wife are like, oh, you know, it's a lot of attention here. Maybe we should just calm down a bit. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. and they always like, tried to basically dilute me. And it lasted about two years and basically all of them in their own words said, we want Rob back. So they'd sort of suppressed me. This is why it's important to be around good people. And now I allowed it. But yeah, I think um, you know, when I was on, in clubhouse, I think I was pretty authentic. Um, yeah, and here's the thing. In, in the world of personal development, you've got my friend Mark Victor Hansen. Don't think I've ever heard him swear. Lovely, articulate, very fast-thinking man. You've got another fast-thinking man called Gary Vaynerchuk who's got this broad accent, accent, who's quite aggressive. I mean, you think I'm aggressive? Nothing like Gary no, Vee. I'm nothing like Andrew I Tate. What he you says know. is
0: good, but I can't I can't hear his voice. There you go. Yeah. But,
1: you know, maybe Gary's style isn't mine, but I, I know he's a smart guy, and I know I can listen to him on social media. But, you know, he's, he, he Fs and Jeffs every five seconds. Like I, I think I've only said fuck three times now and twice <laughs> before. Um, so, the, you know, maybe that, you know, was...
0: I Maybe mean, yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle, I don't know. But I don't think you need to justify it. I, think I don't, pro- You're I right. probably I probably felt some sort of sense of not being included if I wasn't allowed mm. into the room and I wasn't part of the, the listening... Like, and there the, was the, me, the,
1: the 80th followed person in the world on Clubhouse there who thought go. he was the big don yes. who ran the room. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's very honest of you.
0: Well, I think that probably was part of it. I mean, that whole... That whole era... I
1: used to, by the way, bring a lot of people up in rooms and give people equal yes. opportunity because someone did that to me at the start. Right. I didn't know how to use Clubhouse. <laughs> and I was just in a, in a random room and someone brought me up and said, all right, mate, go talk to people. He was an American guy called Farrock who you know, I stayed in touch with. And I, like, I remembered that. So I always tried to do that. So forgive me if I didn't do that with you.
0: That's okay. You probably did at one point. It yeah. probably wasn't enough for me somehow. <laughs> yeah. or I was feeling really down and wanted to yeah. get that sense of in, importance. In an anxiety mode or whatever. Yeah. 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 Talking about clickbait, what have you learned in terms of how far is too far?
1: Well, Harry, my producer over there, um, there is no too far. Right. Did you hear? I, I hope you pick up that little huh that you got in the background. Like, he... Our most clickbaity bait-y content is the one that's done the best. David Ike and Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate and Katie Hopkins. Um, I had a brilliant conversation with Matt Goss about this. He, I, I'm, I'm going to have lunch with him tomorrow. He was on my show, and it was a, a, a lovely conversation. He's a lovely man, um, and and he was like, "Look, Rob, just you know, this is just just do this justice. Just you know, be kind." So he's basically like. Don't put some cheap clickbaity thumbnail headline mm. over I guess he would see it like as a beautiful painting that you just slapped some random paint on and you're ruined. And in some ways I'm a bit I'm an artist at heart. In my old days I was an artist. So I feel the same. I, I want the conversation to be quality. That's mm. what I want. I would like you to leave thinking that was a good quality conversation. Even if you've got more judgments than you have answers, I don't mind. Mm. But unfortunately that doesn't sell. What sells it is the thumbnail and the headline. So I, I regularly have this conversation on my podcast with especially RT creative types in, you know, the art is the piece of content. This is the art form and the gimmick is the thumbnail. <gasps> and you know, and the, Rob Moore tra- trashes my house. Um, or I mean, because Harry, sometimes he puts headlines in. And I'm like, mate, that didn't happen in the episode.
0: All right. So just blame Harry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's great to have a Harry.
1: <laughs> well, you, you, can, you've got, you, can, you can blame your... <laughs> my husband, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes I say to Harry, that didn't actually happen. Mm. He's like, but we need the clicks. Mm. Yeah, but we don't need to be desperate for the clicks. But... I have got a lot of really good content out there that's not got many views and I've got some stuff which I would deem a little bit more tacky that's got millions of views. Mm. I don't have the answer to that question Mm. because let's say you're an artist. Um, The art is the piece of art. The clickbait is how many people come and look at that piece of art? Yeah. If you have no one looking at the art, you've, you're doing you're spending all this money and time on podcasts. I mean, there's two of you here, and you've got all this equipment, thousands of pounds. If no one listens to this podcast, it's it, not. So do
0: you exist?
1: Well, exactly. Well, yeah. nothing exists in a vacuum.
0: But at everything what cost, dies in a vacuum,
1: like, including podcasts. If no one listens to a podcast, it will die. Hmm. So, um, let me ask it back to you: How far would you go? on the clickbait?
0: Not that far. I've been scared to do that. And that's probably resulting in less of a It probably held growth. you back, yeah. It probably does. I think it's something that I need to learn more about in terms of how can it be truthful to what's really happening, but also it's the art of storytelling. It's about how do you express what's really going on? What's the most dramatic point of the video? But I also think podcasting and YouTube is a long game. So if you're putting in things that didn't happen, eventually people will stop believing you. It's like the boy that cried wolf. Mm. And also, if you don't have a good title for the conversation that you had, you probably need to spend more time working on your content and how you can be a better interviewer and have better guests and how can you tell a better story versus just putting one clickbait title on yeah. it so that's my perspective
1: yeah um, i mean can i just jump in here yeah. quickly i think there's two types of clickbait i think there's the miss sell the bullshit yeah the bait and switch which is where clickbait comes from it came from porn where you're clicking on something and it goes to porn um and then there's really creative good quality maybe racy headlines that are delivered on in the content. Well,
0: that's different.
1: And that's art. Yes. To create a so great that, t- yeah. c- title that everyone clicks and doesn't bait and switch, that's art. In fact, Harry and I should spend more time on our headlines and on the thumbnails. And we spend a lot more now than we used to. Because if you can get a headline which is like makes you click and isn't a bait and switch you're a headline genius and because mm. the more head the more clicks you can get the more views you get the more views you get the more on the for you page or the related searches and it is a virtuous cycle
0: so let's address the other elephant in the room what if it's a guest that is not good for society like how far do you i mean well, you've interviewed
1: define who's not define I think that's loaded in your own moral judgments.
0: It is. I
1: think that there are about 25 million men that would say Andrew Tate is good for society.
0: And that terrifies me.
1: Yeah. So, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to be pick out your own judgments. So, because who judges who is good for society and who is not good for society? Society? Well,
0: why was he canceled?
1: much of society loves Andrew Tate. Much of society despises Andrew Tate. I think if you are a mother of a daughter, you're probably more naturally inclined to not like Andrew Tate. I think if you're a struggling, fatherless, 25-year-old male, you're more likely to. Um, so
0: why do young men like him?
1: Well, now, let's go back to your first question first, because I don't think we've finished that. I don't think you or I, so I certainly can't, I can't speak for you. I can't judge that Andrew Tate is bad for society. Who am I to make that judgment? Because I. You don't
0: think he's a misogynist? Well. Do you think he is a misogynist?
1: My personal experience of him, I've had a lot of personal experience with him, I know him, message him quite a lot. I don't know how much personal experience you've had with him. Um, my guess none. is none. So, so um, I have never seen any misogyny from him. But why would there be misogyny with me? I'm wait, not wait, a twenty-year-old. Wait,
0: wait, wait.
1: I'm talking about my personal yes, I've experience with him. I watched the podcast, and with I've him.
0: heard with him.
1: Yeah. So, 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 so to answer your question, personally, I've had no misogyny. But why would I? And. But well, I
0: did. From your podcast.
1: Okay, well, we can come to that, don't worry. Yeah. I'll talk about anything. Let, let me just sort of... I think the nuance is really important here. I think because no. I do and I'm your guest. So just bear, bear okay. with me on All that. Right. And as you're the host, you can disagree, but let me get my point out first. Um, so my experience has only been good from start to finish with them. And that's what I'm going to judge on, number one. Now, by the way, does my wife think the same thing? No. So if we need to open that, we can. Um, at the moment...
0: So, hold on. Yeah, so now now let me get to personal, the trial but bit. Personal experience. So let, talk me through that. What does that mean in terms of how he behaved towards you, in terms of the qualities that you see in him that align with yours? Well,
1: don't forget, all I've done is met him, interviewed with him on a podcast, carried on talking to him. He's messaged me a few times saying that he liked some of my guests on my show, and we're talking about a second interview. So that's as far as I've done. I don't go over to his house every weekend. I don't body spar with him. I'm not, you know, one of one of the guy. I'm not one of the killers. Uh, I, if I'm ever around anyone associated with Andrew Tate, I always smile on the videos because they always don't. So I'm still me. I'm, yeah. you know, but like I'm not scared of an association with him because. I am not society and I'm not going to morally judge. Now, would I be concerned of a, um, an association with Jeffrey Epstein? Of course I would. But I think that's proven. Andrew Tate is... is there's no proof yet. And, and, like, if you were questioned about something and you were on trial, but there was no actual case, mm-hmm. you know, and there was... Then you would want a fair trial... And is there actually a case being presented here or not? Because there still isn't any, there's still not been any charges. Now, look, could therefore some of my people think, well, there's going to be a bit of egg on Rob's face if he does get convicted of those. If he gets convicted of those and there are proof, then I might change my stance. I, I probably would change my stance, to be honest. But I'd have to wait and see what they are. But I'm not judging until they are. But as of yet, there are no charges. And I like to think if I was accused of something that I didn't believe I was guilty of, mm. people that knew me wouldn't judge me because there's not even any charges. Social media is not judge, jury and executioner, but it's made itself that. Mainstream media, like BBC, you know, they're hatchet- hatcheting him because they want to, they want oxygen. Like the hit jobs from the BBC were terrible journalism whether they might have been right, but terrible journalism. And it was a vain attempt to have some oxygen left to survive because BBC are very irrelevant now. You watch my interview with him compared to BBC's.
0: Way, way more I mean, balanced, much better. I mean, I actually don't watch interviews with him. And the only reason oh, is because... Yeah, Doing research on you and obviously he's... It, OK, I'm a woman. I have heard the things he says, both on your podcast and elsewhere. And I go onto your YouTube page, your podcast, and go onto the most popular videos, and there's probably at least three or four of, I mean, Jordan Peterson, number one, but a lot of of him. And I think I scrolled maybe about 20, 30, and I saw three female faces. Mm. So because he's so popular on your podcast... It is giving him a bigger platform, exactly he at the point... He doesn't need me.
1: He doesn't need he does, me. But,
0: but you are still offering that to him.
1: The, the Katie Hopkins, she was...
0: Wait, let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me, because, you know, you're, you're no, more experienced in this, and I yeah. want to, like, articulate myself.
1: I hear you. Um, I think you're doing it well.
0: Thank you. Um, he, he is a person that was cancelled at that point. He is somebody who, in my opinion encourages young men to think about women in the wrong way to me that is not good for society because I believe in female empowerment as a female entrepreneur myself it is terrifying to see that somebody mm. of that grand scale of influence being supported by people like you and other people because he is nice person to deal with because in my opinion an individual is especially when they have such a broad reach has a responsibility and has to take accountability for their actions so Mm. just because he's not been convicted of whatever crimes that he's been accused of that still he's still saying very misogynistic and very untrue things about women both outside of your platform and on your platform. So it's like, how do you feel about that? Do you not feel like he was giving misogynistic views on your show?
1: Okay, so first off, I totally respect that position. And I have conversations with my wife about this quite a lot. My wife's very good at giving me balance. I am a man, so I'm obviously going to learn much more about a a woman's point of view from a woman my wife's very kind very balanced very logical and we have these discussions and you know I don't think she would mind me to say a lot of these things and more she's raised in the conversation she's even raised you know if I should think about that with my association so there's a couple of things I want to address going back before we move forward and um, I'm in this position on my podcast where I don't know if I don't know why this happened, but we have had so many really brilliant females agreed to be on the show and then they cancel once, twice, three and four times. And I've I've openly talked about this, and I don't mind talking about it here, and I'll probably get some hate for it, but I, I mean, I tell less. you what,
0: I was but, but I was wait. in two minds of yeah, in gr- having you on the show. Okay,
1: that, that's interesting, and obviously we'll talk afterwards whether you think it was a good decision or not, and I'll I'll accept whatever. But by the way, the, the, many of these females, was way, it was pre-Andrew Tate, it was pre-Jordan Peterson, it was when all the people I was interviewing were entrepreneurs that none of them were in any way controversial. Because if you go back and look at my early stuff, none of the guests are controversial. They're just all entrepreneurs. It used to be called the disruptive entrepreneurs. So you can see the evolution. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had Joe Malone. We had Hilary DeVay, who unfortunately, has passed away, and loads of others. And I don't want to sit here and name and shame. But they fucked us around. Yeah, come here. Oh no. 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 Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. You know, we had the um, Jacqueline Gold. You know, associated with West Ham, and she pulled out to, to illness when we knew she was watching the Champions League match. That's so. In my most women are flaky. No, I am not saying women are flaky. Rem- you know, remember, I'm the guy on this discussion that it says that nuance is important i am saying that on my podcast with all the successful women i wanted to get and wanted to give a voice and had them agreed they were the most flaky that is what i'm saying and that's my experience and that is a fact and i'm not i haven't mentioned half of them and it might even be the first time i've even said their name and they fucked us about and you you have to go places and pay for hotels and all this kind of stuff and I've, I've so I, I went inside and I went, is it me? You know, have I got some projection of too much maleness or, and, and, you know, of course, many women accused me of that, but. Did they? What did they say? Well, yeah, it's you, Rob.
0: But did they say because you're too
1: I th- I, manly
0: too? what well, you, you say? You, t- you tell me
1: because right. I can tell yeah. you this mm. and I'll say this now. I don't think I've ever said anything that's in the remotest bit more misogynistic ever online. Just because Andrew Tate says it doesn't mean I think it. And, and, and I never have. And you can go back and you can see what's, what's on the internet. And I went inside and thought, is there something about me that's repelling them? And I really worked on it. And we, do you know what we even did? We even started using my PA, who's a female, internally to communicate with them, to wondering if we were being a bit aggressive or pushy. And we could not get... Round it. And now we're at the stage where we had all these great women. They counseled us one, two, three and four times. I mean, Hillary DeVay, four or five times. And in the last one or two times, she was ill. And, you know, I, I rest in peace. You know, there's no judgment for me on here. But if it had been my way, there had been like, there'd be 35% women at least. And in the end, do you know what my MD, who's a woman, said? She says, maybe it's not your demographic. Maybe you should just stop trying to get women on the show and putting all this effort when you can't. Mm. And, then, and then women will say, oh, but I'll come on. But they're, they're not known or they haven't got a brand. And, you know. And I'm at the stage where I can attract those people. So I tried. Now, you can always try harder. But then we've got Peterson, who's very male. And then we've got Andy Tate, who's very male. And we've got Katie Hopkins, who's a very male female. And so now when people go on, I can understand that it's like whoa, this is like male. Mm. And I'll, if there's anyone listening, who knows anyone who's a very successful female um, and, and is of the, the right calibre, I will have mm. them on my show in an instant. And uh, you know, I'll have whatever conversations we need to have. I'm not scared to go to those places, as you can, you can see here. Mm. I'd love to do it. But if I'm taking full responsibility, we haven't nailed that. But I'm also, you know, and sometimes people say to me things like, well, you know, but they've got kids and, you know, and I'm just thinking, well, these women are really successful in business. I imagine that they, they, their word is important to them and they've, been, they've become wildly successful as a woman by probably having to deal with kids and stuff. I cannot give an excuse as to why nearly all the people that mess us around three or four times...
0: Apart have from the fact that they're female.
1: Women. Yeah, I couldn't find any mm. other. And now you're right. Now I'm at the. I mean, my listenership is 85% male. Yours might be 85% female. I don't know. And we've almost manifested that because in the end, you're like, how many. Like, I'd love to have Sarah Blakely on the show. Mm. You, you know. by the way, She's I've, I've had 20 equivalent males of her, mm. 20 male billionaires. Mm and not we do you know we've gone for every female billionaire every single one we've got none so i'm here opening my soul on the anatomy of a leader saying bring it but i i I think there's something in successful women that they're holding back
0: what do. do you think that is
1: I don't know. I'd love to talk about it, but I've got to get them on my show to talk to them about it. And now they go on my YouTube, and they see Jordan Peterson, Andrew Tate, David Icke. I.
0: Don't think you're a misogynist, but I feel that I'm not going to say like side, you know, siding with him. But I think the fact that you are supporting him by having him on your show well, and by not... Because in, in the beginning of your podcast with him, you said that you're going to challenge him. And the, I scrolled down and said, you know, are you a misogynist? And you asked that once, but you didn't probe him further on that. Like, you didn't, you didn't go deeper in well, that. Well,
1: round, round two... Well, we I don't
0: will. know if I'm going like to survive yep, watching that. Let, let, let me...
1: Look, um, I don't think he, that I can remember... Blurted any or much misogyny on my episode compared to all the stuff he'd done in the past. If there's anything specific you yes. want to ask me, mm. I will state whether I think that's misogynistic or I not. Mean, one of the things that
0: he talks about is like the, gen- well, I don't know exactly if this is word for word, but gender pay gap does not exist because women choose not to go for higher paying jobs. That's what he said.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's misogynistic. Why not? Um, I think it's a generalization. Mm. Because I, I think if you look at the if you look at the modelling industry, my guess on i I've gone oh. in fact, my guess is women really, get paid more okay. than men.
0: Yeah. That's my guess.
1: I had this discussion with I I, I want to have this discussion. Okay. I had this with my wife. We had a really mm-hmm. good discussion. We she came from the gender equality. I came from a different perspective, and I think we met in the middle. Let me tell you why I think about this. I believe in value equality. So if you bring more value than me, you should be paid more than me. I don't care what your gender is. If I bring more value value than you value is
0: not an absolute
1: No, it's it's perceived by the market that you're in. Yes,
0: and the market, the the perception of the market is based on what society believes to be valuable at that time.
1: That is a market. And if a
0: society is patriarchal or has more men seated in the leadership positions, that is going to dictate what is valuable. Yes, A woman staying at home and taking care of the kids is less valuable than a man going out to earn a living.
1: Well, not necessarily, because that man might give half you know spend but, half of his money on his wife yes
0: but that's not always the case no it's not but, but, it,
1: but it is often it's but it, much it more rare often. in reverse
0: but it's not that rare for it to not be the case
1: the, the thing the thing so i think with the, thing the I think
0: value with argument in my opinion like oh well you know male footballers should be paid more because there's more of a market and female footballers should be paid less because well no women which watches them well it's not been the right thing for women to watch sports why? It's not the women that decided that necessarily. I don't believe yeah, that. well, I mean, I think, and that... the same thing for models being paid more because, well, you know, they're female, and the male models get paid less. Well, the market has been created by yes. men. Yes, yes, it's been created but, by but, men. But yeah, but,
1: but so I, I, I don't really include myself in this because remember, I believe value, mm. and I don't care what the sex is. And I, I, uh, by the way, I practice what I preach, and I hire more men than women. And there's reasons for that because they have fundamentally different set of skills to men. And as a recruiter, I'm sure you would know this, which I think are valuable in building a company. Um, The the football discussion is a good one because um, I don't think that the captain of England or Spain currently should be paid as much as Lionel Messi. But I think that women's football is doing a great job of showing us what value it has I mean, the, the British team are probably a bit more entertaining than the men's team. They went, got to the final and things are changing. And so in that regard, there is progress. Progress maybe we've not had in society for a long time. And there's a lot more, as you say, patriarchal, matriarchal influence. I don't care about whether it's a man or a woman. I care... Who's bringing value and is that value useful to society? But here's the problem. I'm not the judge of that. If, if I own society, there would be no gambling. But then it would probably be done illegally, wouldn't it? I, it wouldn't necessarily... But, like, that's my, my judgment. In my company, you get paid the most if you offer the most value. And most, many of our senior um, people are women. And we're very supportive of their matriarchal needs that, that men don't have. So it doesn 't trigger me um, because I also acknowledge i 'm not a woman and i 've not had the same suppression as a woman maybe but i can't it 's not a crime to be a forty four year old white male either, which a lot of people you know think that I am satan because i 'm a forty four year old white man i had, i, I wasn 't given anything i employ a a lot of women I try and be fair I try and think about equality but I, I have my own vantage point I acknowledge to you if I was the mother of a 15 year old girl I might perceive Andrew Tate in a different way because I have my own lens I have never said anything misogynistic I don't think talking about the gender pay gap is misogynistic I actually think it's is it not good for people who want there to be less of a gender pay gap that someone like Andrew Tate Yeah, opinion. it's
0: good, but not when you're denying its existence.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, you're always going to have two sides of an argument, aren't you? Well, and surely did, you want hmm. people wading in. Because him wading in, whether you agree or not, all of a sudden, 20 million people are discussing it that weren't before. Is that not good?
0: No, I don't think it's good
1: well, would you rather not talk about it and suppress it for another 100 years? No,
0: I would rather if it's in an interview situation when he's saying that gender pay gap doesn't exist and at the same time he says, well, people don't research and don't go deep into the subject and don't look at all of the facts. Well, he hasn't gone into the facts. So you, as an interviewer, have a duty to push him on that, and maybe you know try to get the other side of the story, and that's my opinion about. that. Yeah,
1: him. of course. And I, I, the thing is, you would interview him very differently to me. You would have a I very wouldn't you, interview him. Well, no. Let's hypothetically hmm. say you would interview him. You would interview him very differently with a very different set of questions based on your own beliefs and personal experiences. I'm always open to be asked to ask Andrew a question, and if there's anything anyone thinks I'm missing in my interview questions send them, put them on the YouTube videos, ask me to ask them. I, I often do. And as you know, it's not always easy to come up with really good questions. No. So I'm, I'm an open book and, and, and I'll take any suggestions. In fact, if I've got a lot of questions pouring, that's half the work done for my for my next interview. So I'd be very grateful. I, I think ultimately I'm aware of my own biases and they are what I am. But, um, you know, I'm not raising my daughter. I've never said anything misogynistic. Uh, uh, No one would ever say I'm misogynistic towards my wife. I mean, I always speak very highly of my wife. Um, And I would be quite happy to interview far more women. And I would quite be, be I'd be quite happy to interview Andrew Tate and then interview someone who's completely against Andrew Tate and throw the other side. Who you should
0: interview, who you should have on the show, is I think his name is Richard Reeve. He's written a book on boys' Only boys and men. I think he's based out in the US, but I think he's British.
1: Do you know him, Harry? Richard Reeve? Okay.
0: Should take a look at his book because he believes that gender equality is all about looking at the other side, which is looking at the young men in our society and redefining or creating the version of masculinity that is relevant for our society today. Mm. So I think you would have a lot to say about that.
1: one thing I will say about that, because recently people have been asking me about masculinity and I don't really talk about it too much. Like my wheelhouse is business and money and now people are asking me about gender identity and misogyny and masculinity. And it's like, hmm, what I will say is this, I acknowledge it's quite confusing to be a young male right now. And, uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of lost young men out there. I think, I mean, when I went through puberty, it was fucking confusing. Imagine now being a child. I mean, you've got children. And when they get to teens with all these 60-odd different gender identities and everything else, I'm not saying any of them are wrong. I mean, in my opinion, there's two main sexes but I accept an unlimited number of gender identities if you want to identify. But if my child comes back and wants to identify as a cat, I've got a problem. I'm like, fuck, what do I do here? And so, yes, society is not like it was when I was young. And it it changes, and I've got to dance and evolve with it. And there was no one like Andrew Tate, you know, back when I was... And The paradox of Andrew Tate, like, I don't know if I said about dual-use paradox earlier, but everything has an upside and a downside... Andrew Tate has bought me a massive following and got me connected with some really good people and he's brought me a lot of heat. And, and I, I'm OK with going to those places and I'm OK if there's a, an opposite version, I'm OK with interviewing them too. But, you know, I, I, I hope that people will see that I am me and my, I am my own person. And, you know, like my beliefs and opinions are mine. I don't believe what ever, everything Katie Hopkins says or Jordan Peterson says or David Icke says. By the way, I've interviewed loads of really cool people which are not controversial, but we're not talking about them, which no. is a shame.
0: No, but we're not talking about Andrew Tate because of him. For me, I would rather not see his face ever again or talk about it. The reason being is, first of all, but you're on my show. And you have interviewed him. And Mm. two, some of the things he says, I think, are damaging both to women, but also to men. And that behavior and supporting that, in my opinion, isn't right. Mm. Um, And so it's just trying to understand your perspective on it. Because you are right. There are very young, young, vulnerable men who are lost, who don't know how to be. And just because you say that you work out, you're rich... And you work hard or you say you do all of those things that doesn't automatically give you a free pass to say are the terrible things. Because all of those things combined mean that everything, all the good that you have done is kind of like wiped away from you. If you were to come up and say, I acknowledge what I said is wrong or I acknowledge that this has hurt somebody and, you know, this is what I'm doing to correct it, to educate myself. Okay, maybe. But that hasn't happened and he hasn't apologised and he hasn't said anything about it to take away the damage that I believe he is doing to both women and to men. So, yeah, that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, and I um, accept that and respect that. Um, And I think that the evolution of Andrew Tate and what happens in his case and beyond it and afterwards... It's going to be interesting to see. Mm. Um, You know, I see a lot of people in his community who they essentially want to be him, but that's because they don't know who they are. Mm. Um, And I am me and I don't smoke cigars. And I don't go and bash people up. and, And, you know, all this stuff. The, the the young impressionable men are looking to find who they are and then because they don't have the father figure that they wanted the to be father or they have the wrong father figure I mean it's possibly just yeah that's just as bad isn't it then they're going to look for these other role models which I think now we're probably saying something similar and you know so yeah I may- like I hope. I mean, he'd say that he does, but I'll just say this to him if, you know, if this gets to him. But I hope he really does think about his influence and the impact he's having. Because he can see his positive impact. Can he see his negative impact? And is there a way he can, could continue to have the positive impact and maybe lessen the negative impact? That, that's a, something I that think, you could ask yourself.
0: I think anybody who has created so much damage and has been basically cancelled... If they come back and they are, you know what? I'm a changed man and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show it to you. I feel that will do a lot of good for society because then you can see that transformation and what is possible, that it is possible to create change. It is possible to create even more of a positive influence if there had been one to start with. Mm. So, yes, I think it is. I I think everybody deserves a second chance. Mm. And again, I don't know the positive sides of what is preaching and yes that is also you know a choice that i'm making that i don't want to go to because it's very very triggering for me and going back you know I was, I was thinking about this when you said you know what the misconceptions you had about me and there was something about your voice gary's vanachuk's voice and jordan peterson's voice um and andrew tate's voice and it's like there are please bear with me there are some similarities because which are, which are this elevated—you can call it passionate. You can call it—it's—it's um, it's very emotionally triggering. And I was thinking, why does? Okay, Jordan Peterson did kind of have that effect on me. But then when I listen to what he's saying, and also the fact that he cries a lot when he gets very emotional, to me, I'm like, okay, this person is using a range of his emotions. He is comfortable with a different range of emotions to get his message across. And his message is overall extremely positive, I believe, to young men. With um, Andrew Tate, when I hear his voice, it makes me angry. It makes me so angry and I'm like, what is this? And one thing I've realized about myself is like when I feel angry, most of the time it's either injustice towards somebody else or injustice towards me, but the underlying emotion under the anger is fear. So I've, it's like first it's anger and then it's fear fear for what will happen to the young boys fear what might happen to young girls and then also fear like oh my if I were to meet this person face to face like I would be scared of him as a woman I would be scared of him and when he's saying those things about it it makes me think well I don't want more men to be raised in this kind of an image um And it's interesting that you get asked about masculinity, and I don't want to go down sort of, you know, different genders, but you did say something about, well, you know, maybe I'm kind of like too manly. So there is something on your mind about that. So what is your version of the best of what a man can be?
1: So uh, since the whole masculinity thing has come out, and toxic masculinity, I have taken some time to think about this now my wife always tells me that I'm more of a man than these men which makes me feel very loved
0: what do you think she means by that
1: well so I ask her what are these things um so this is what she says about me sorry if I embarrass her or, or you know I think it's better coming from someone else than on me but she believes that I'm an ambitious person
0: so that's a manly thing for her to
1: her that yeah she believes that she's attracted to my ambition when she she recalls when we met and apparently I went straight up to her to talk to talk to her and she was actually one of the only the very few people I've ever gone up and chatted up and apparently I had a business card Rob Moore property investor and I gave it to her and, and she afterwards thought this guy isn't a property investor but I like his chutzpah, uh, mm. y- you know. Sorry if I pronounced that bold. wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and she and she what she said she liked about me was my ambition, and because she met me when I was broke, and you know I've I've, I've built up a nice. Well, we've built together, you know, a, a nice empire, and I've been the the guy that's done the financial part. So ambition is one. And um, she thinks kindness and compassion actually really makes a man, and she, she believes that I am that. Um, she thinks someone who um, is in touch with their emotions, but you know, isn't sort of weak and flighty and a pushover. Um, so she she would see that as a a manly manly quality. I mean, my wife's quite a practical person, so she doesn't say things like you know being sensitive or romantic because. Whenever I'm romantic with her, she's like, what do you want? Because she's, you know, she's just a well, practical... Like when you
0: give money to yeah, say, like, exactly. well, what you want? Yeah, Why are yeah. you giving me all of this, right?
1: Yeah. So compassion, kindness, ambition. I think um, she, knowing who you are and, and having a, a vision and clarity of self, I think she, she finds... So this
0: is what she yeah. thinks of you. So what do you think are Well, well that's ones? what she
1: says are the masculine traits about me that she likes. Right. Obviously, there's the physical ones as well. I won't go into those.
0: But that's her opinion. What's your opinion?
1: Well, the reason I gave her opinion is because maybe it's more accurate or balanced. Uh, uh, I think if you have to go on and on about you being a a man... Like, I asked someone, because apparently there's all these phrases like alpha male. Mm. And what was the other one, Harry? Sigma male. And I think, what is
0: sigma male? Yeah, like yeah, okay.
1: beyond alpha. Oh,
0: we see. Okay. Yeah, and because I think alpha wasn't enough. Well, so this is it, and one, it, it, this
1: makes me squirm. Mm. And if anyone says they are an alpha or a sigma male, that like you get triggered, I'm getting triggered. I'm, not I'm not actually like,
0: triggered about it. I find it well, laughable. Well,
1: we're all, we all well, get, we get we triggered. All get triggered yeah. about different things, yeah. don't we? And we get triggered in different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not going to let it ruin my life, mm. but I'm just I'm probably I'm going to judge a bit. So talking about my own masculinity publicly makes me feel like a bit like I'm defining
0: the the alpha. Well, it's not really about your masculinity. I think my question is more about what you believe defines a man, like a good man. That's the question.
1: Okay, what defines a good man? Um, Someone who has leadership qualities, who can... Take a problem or a situation and make a decision without a committee, and go and make positive change. Now that can also be a woman, can't it? Mm -hmm. But you know, but that that's one character trait. Whether they're the leader of the family or the organisation or whatever. Obviously, there is the sexual and the testosterone and the energy. You know, I find it confusing, and, and it's it's quite normal. But I do find it confusing when I meet women who've got very masculine energies and men who've got very feminine energies my my wife actually has a theory on this she thinks it's all the estrogen in the water um <laughs> but um th- i think so,
0: there's that's some the, that, so you so that's the estrogen making men less masculine,
1: less masculine. yeah because yeah yeah because so the t- it, i mean the t- okay. testosterone levels are way down you mm. know on average so there is that i mean if i had no testosterone uh, I wouldn't have the get up and go. I wouldn't do the challenges. You know, I do challenges all the time. I did a charity boxing match. I'm doing a challenge right now. I break world records. I do all those things. And I'm not saying that's not a, a female thing. So what I don't want people to hear when I say, this is what masculine is, I want, people are going to judge and go, oh, well, women could be that too. I'm mm-hmm. trying to answer your question and without caveating myself. So strong leadership, decisive qualities, and, you know, testosterone and the male energy. Um, what is that? It's what comes from testosterone. It's what comes from biologically being a male, which, I mean, is, a which is why when you have a ag- transgender, but there's But that could be issues. aggression,
0: right? Because that's what testosterone provides. Well, it, well, if it,
1: if it manifests in ag- Well, if it manifests in aggression mm. and competitiveness, which you would deem as more masculine qualities, then it is there, yeah. And I don't think we can deny it. I think a good man controls those. I think what a good man does is they can be powerful and dangerous and damaging to protect, but they never use it. They choose not to.
0: Well, this is what Jordan Peterson's main point is. We talk, it's about restraint. Mm, like
1: I, it's, I, it's, I do agree with that. It's about, like, I try and be polite with everyone. Um, I'm not a bully. But, you know, I have started to... I used to do a lot of self-defence and martial arts. Um, and, you know, I did a charity boxing match and I do um, other martial arts now. But you'll never, you'll never see me start a fight. You will never see me start a fight. Um, Did you before? I've never started a fight. Mm -hmm. Never. (laughs) I'm a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) But I think I do now see it. Because, don't forget, if we were in World War II, I probably would have had to learn how to shoot a gun. And I probably would have been out there protecting... You know our country and my children and and my wife, and I'm fortunate enough not to have had to been in that situation. But I think the world is changing now, and It feels a bit more like shit could be close to World War Three and all this. So I'm, I'm. Society is making me think, you know, maybe I should be able to protect myself and my family, and that is a more masculine thing than a feminine thing because naturally men are stronger than women. Um, and there are some people that say that women shouldn't learn how to fight. They should learn how to use their other skills Um, because most people don't want to agree that men and women are different. They want to say Mm. equality, but I prefer equity to equality and men and women are different Mm. and if we're going to make progress, we have to acknowledge that. This is why getting men to change their gender and being in female sports is fucking wrong. It is wrong. Like, my wife says this, and again, she might tell me off, but she reckons that most men who change their gender are perverts. And she doesn't think it women change into men. And uh, by the way, I've interviewed Caitlyn Jenner. I acknowledge there are some humans who, it must be so confusing to be them, but I think there are many men who are... You know, you you can't allow this. Mm. You know, there was the man that got in the female prison and started going going mad. How the why the fuck did they allow that? How can you let a, an ex man compete in a woman's sport? So what I'm saying is, men and women are different, and we shouldn't allow men to go and compete in women's arenas. Mm. Um, but that is a highly charged subject. Yes,
0: yeah, so I mean, do you think a,
1: a man? who's making out that they're a woman, should be able to go into a female changing rooms?
0: I am conflicted in that. I don't have the right answer to that or an opinion strong enough because I do believe that there are people who, whether they believe it or whether it is a biological reason that they feel that they're not in their right gender and I think there is a subgroup of people who feel and are uh, not accepted by society and when a society groups people in male and female you have a problem where do they go to the bathroom so there has to be some sort of and going into a male bathroom is going to be dangerous for them so I believe that, that we, don't, we as a society haven't got the right solution and the only way we can say is like you go to the female bathroom. So is there a third bathroom? But that, that's, the, that's the
1: right of one person putting the, the many at risk.
0: Well, no, but surely one life is also important that we shouldn't put them at risk by them going potentially into a male bathroom and being beaten up
1: yeah i mean we again we're getting into the nuance to where it's probably based on an individual i mean i don't um, think
0: we can look at it as a you know just the statistics because no, but the how nuance do nuance? In the individual situation dictate also yes. how the rest behaves and so i don't have an answer to that i do believe that if it's a transgender man should not go into female sports. Yeah, I, I do completely believe that. Agree. I mean, how, do, how did that even the happen? The advantage of having testosterone in your body you gives you an advantage over a female hormones. So that is not a category that they can compete in. If Agreed. they go into men's sports, you know, is there a di- It's a public thing. Is it, it's different to going into a private space, which is a bathroom, where you could potentially be in danger. Mm. I think those two things are very different. Yeah,
1: I, yeah, that they are different, and the sports one is easy for me, which yeah. sounds like it is for you.
0: It, um, it, it is for me because it's, an adva- it's a physical advantage and the reason why we separate men and women is because men do have... Because
1: men and women are different. They are different. And it's different. okay. <gasps> I just said men and women are different. Yeah. It's okay. We should not judge a woman by a man's standards and we should not judge a man by a woman's standards. But we
0: are judging... Well, so that's by, the problem then. By, by that's male the standards. problem then. It is. It is.
1: Yeah. And, uh, what yeah. do you think
0: about feminism?
1: Oh. ow um define feminism
0: the belief that men and women deserve equality or as you called it equity i'm going to use those words interchangeably
1: i don't believe that men and women should have equality because we are different i believe we should have equity where our differences are honored and then individually those skills and traits that we have are very different are maximised and I would use an analogy of the school system so if you ask me what I think about the school system I think it's pretty shit Mm -hmm. and I think we're taught a load of general shit we don't need and then when the geniuses pops up in all of us because we're all a genius in some way in most mainstream schools it, it, it doesn't get noticed what I would say in school is you know, we need to learn maths and English and things like that. But then let's find a way that we can bring out the individual genius. And then when we find the individual genius, let's get rid of all the friction and let's let them go for it. And let's let them become themselves. And let's not judge them
0: mm-hmm.
1: on... Because, you know, you've got people who apparently have got learning difficulties, but they're fucking great at selling. You know, they're selling on... Like, mo- most entrepreneurs are dyslexic, you know, for example.
0: Is that a fact?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of, no. No. No, a lot of entrepreneurs I know, famously people like Richard Branson, my mm. friend Neville Wright, are hideously dyslexic. If you're shit in the classroom, you're probably good on the playground. Mm. You know, you've got good.
0: I actually like what. So the, the, I watched a little bit of the Jordan Peterson interview that you did with him. And I think he brilliantly put people in terms of his five personality traits yes. and entrepreneurs and that kind of like artistic, creative. Mm. And, you know, when you're dyslexic, you can't rely on your. Conscientiousness or, you know, ability to be good with detail. Yeah, you've got to find out who you are Mm.
1: and then unleash that genius. And school is a bit homogenised and, Mm. you know... Blanket and, and broad, and in a way, society is, is a bit like that, it's not really well, it's honoring. It's trying to
0: put people into very small categories that's what I believe. So, the category of you're a masculine man, that means that's good, you're a feminine woman, that means that's good, and everything else in between is kind of like, yeah. Well, we don't understand it, we're afraid of it, but like money, like we don't understand it, we no. kind of afraid, we don't want to talk about it. And the same, you know, relating to the education system where we try to fit everybody into the same mold sit at a classroom desk you know Mm. pirate fashion learn and don't move and like that Mm. is not you know adhd is on the rise well why because these people need to have physical activity like to be honest we all do Mm. and so creating these very narrow view of what we're supposed to be doing in my opinion is what's creating the whole problem in the first place but um so would you consider yourself a feminist
1: i would consider myself i've never really i don't like labels i don't like labeling myself um because i I like the fluidity and the freedom of because i think it's a real strength to be able to change your opinion and i think it's a real strength to be able to have discourse in a respectful way even if you don't agree and hopefully you'll Mm. feel that that's how this discussion has been in you can tell me at the end. So, as soon as I label myself, I brand myself something, and then I don't have that fluidity. So, I've never really thought about labeling myself. If I, if I were to start putting some labels on myself, I'll, because you're the first person that's asked, I'm a valuist. What is that? I don't know. I've just made it <laughs> up.
0: Okay. Well, what? it? So, okay. Are you, I believe, are you just picking something out of the air, no, or does it mean something? No, to I'm giving you, you a,
1: an exclusive scoop.
0: Oh, my God. You're a valuist. What well, is it? How do we draw it? Because.
1: I, Uh, I I believe we all have latent value. You're smart in areas, I'm not. I've read and researched in areas, you haven't. Our gentlemen here the same. And I believe if we could honour everyone's individuality, which is not easy because we have to put them in boxes, male, female, you know, left, right, because that's easy. Um, But if we were able to somehow give people the fundamentals that they need and the foundation to find their own value and uniqueness and strengths and then society rewarded that because it often doesn't and then you found how to be the most valuable human you can as a drummer or as an artist or as a podcaster, I, that's what I am and that's why I probably might like capitalism. I mean, we don't, we're not really in a capitalist society It's some hodgepodge but I, I'd rather have that over communism, because at least capitalism creates the free markets and the fair competition. It's not perfect. So I, I'm more of a, a valueist. I'm, I'm, I like enterprise. I mean, I call myself an entrepreneur. That's just because I love business and I'm passionate about business. But I'm, I'm probably more about free enterprise. Hey, what are you good at? Good. Go do it. Let's get the government out of the way. Let's give you as much support as we can. Make sure, let's make sure you're being valuable, though. So we've got some rules. And let's make sure there's some competition down the road. So you're not greedy. And, and, and let's play and let's see what, um, you know, how we can, you can make your greatest impact. Because so, if you imagine the collective society is going to be so much better if everyone's as useful as they can be. Mm. But the problem is society is this, this sort of like very stereotyped set of rules, which judges everyone. Because when you're judged, you can't be yourself. If society, you're, you know, you're this and you're that and you, you've got to go over there and you've got to be in the kitchen and you've got to do this. And uh, No, we're all, we're all different. So yeah, I, I'm a valuist, whatever that is. <laughs>
0: okay. No, I'm with you in terms of putting people into two small categories and society wanting to push you into that because it's... The brain needs to evolve. The human brain needs to evolve to be able to account for the different the nuance and the different ways of being. Mm. And I think that's definitely holding us back both, you know, when it comes to like masculinity, femininity, entrepreneur, corporate worker, mm. you know, all these, these labels that you well, kind these of get change stuck as well.
1: with. Well, this is what's hard. How old are you?
0: 41.
1: Okay. So I'm 44. They change. Yeah. Like you're in recruitment, Matt, the, the workplace has ch- since lockdown, I've never seen it change so much. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes, cause the thing with money is it loves speed and it hates friction. So, you know, crypto is a far, fast form of money. You know, your Apple Pay is a fast form of money. So money's always looking for the fastest and the least amount of friction. And to a certain degree, that's how society evolves. Sometimes it de-evolves back, but often it evolves like that. And so as you're going through this rapid change, which gets faster and faster, you can get left behind. And it's really hard to keep up. Um, and so this is one of the reasons why I love being an entrepreneur, is because I have to watch these things. And, you know, I'm talking about things on the podcast today that quite frankly, I didn't expect to be talking about. But that's how fast things change. Yeah, you we did started say talking about wanted yeah. to be
0: grilled so they Whoa, do. <laughs> and
1: you have you've, you've gone for it. But but the point is we started about money, which is my specialist subject. Mm. And now we're talking about all these other manner of things. Um and, and, and social media changes and content changes and business changes. And generally the people who are the, the least stressed, who are able to find their value the most, who evolve the quickest, and who generally do the best in life as a person, personal measure, is those that can adapt to the change. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing more frustrating when you feel you're stuck in another time zone. I try not to be like that as a parent. You know, when my son goes through puberty, I'm like, oh, 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 you know. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, but I'm thinking yeah. about when I was, but, you know, kids don't drink in the same way. They don't socialise in the same way. So I, 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 I need to not be the guy that's stuck in the 1980s or, or 90s. And being an entrepreneur really helps you with that.
0: One of the things I really liked, what you said in your book, Money, is, <clears throat> I can't remember how you phrased it, so bear with me. I think it was something to do is like, let the money flow through you. Mm. And I really liked that idea. And that was, you know, when you gave me the £20, and I was like, oh, I can't take it. Because my personal belief around money is that I have to deserve it.
1: But you could have gone and taken it to a nice boutique cake shop and given or- 20 pounds worth of cakes and then go and given those cakes away yeah i could have
0: donated it to a charity of Mm. choice yes but even though it's like it's it's the block of saying well i still need to deserve it even if i am going to be giving it away but i like this idea of Mm. flow of letting it flow through you and being more conscious about where do you actually put your money Mm. right so you can spend it on A Starbucks or you can go and spend it at your local coffee shop where Mm. you talk to the owner and you know their life and Mm. their kids and you've seen them all grow up. You can, you know, take this money, you can donate it to a charity, you can take this money and, I don't know, send it to your relatives if you're an Mm. immigrant somewhere else. Or you can
1: buy some good hardware equipment for your podcast.
0: Oh, we do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never ending,
1: that is. That is
0: never ending. Yeah. So, no, I really like that concept.
1: See, for money to be able to flow through you... Now, this, I'm going to bring it back to your discussion about rich. So the rich are very good at getting money flowing through them. People assume greedy people, they make millions and they hoard it. They actually don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they tip big, they have a private crew on their private jet and a crew on their yachts, and all those people are feeding their families. So, like, money is a paradox. Dual-use paradox, everything has that. Which means that if you hoard money... Oh, I'm told to save, I've got to save. Oh, no, this is mine no one will give you any more money to a point because you'll build that reputation. Conversely, oh, money's got to flow through me. I'll just spend it on anything I want and it will come to me. Those extremes don't work. So you have to be mindful of your money, manage it well, invest it well. But some people who are hoarders have to spend more. I'll give you an example of this. And this is weird how this has happened. But when I was 23, I was broke and she wasn't. She had a good job. And every time we went out, she had to pay. And it was humiliating for me. And she was cool. Um, And I always said to myself, like, after we split up, I was like, I'm going to make some money. And I'm going to... Anyway, I did. I made some money and I took a few grand and I put it in an envelope and I stuck it through her door. And I basically said, thank you, but this is all the money you ever spent on me. Here it is back. Because I felt such shame. Now, that was just me there's that said a lot about my emotions around money but what that did was that really got me to value going out for dinner because I couldn't afford it and I would go and there would be I would want to be with my girlfriend but there'd also be some shame some humiliation there so I I swore after that I will always get the bill I will uh, and like you're gonna fight me and let you know to get this bill you're
0: one of those yeah
1: well (laughs) I I was one of those before there was one of those Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't fire anyone, I'd just go and pay it. It's always paid. I'm not, it's not, not like, hey, look at me, I'm paying, you know, mm. but i just always go and sort it out. Mm-hmm. It was a thing of mine, so notice how you judged me. I'm one of those. No, I'm one of me. Anyway, I've done that so much now that it's very hard for I'm me to... I'm only doing it for clickbait. Of course, crack on. Okay,
0: you're the first one. <laughs>
1: so now it's very difficult for me to get dinner because everyone knows what I'm like. And um, I got one friend, Luke, who used to be in the UFC. He will, all keeps paying for my dinners the whole time. So We
0: have to like prepay like a month in advance.
1: Uh, no, just because he always takes the bill. Right. So here's my point: people pay for me now because for years I've paid for other people. Mm. So I believe the universe is giving me back what I've been giving it. And I, I could probably go out for dinner the next hundred times and not take my money and not say anything. I would never do that because you know why and people would pay my dinner so what I'm saying is the, the money flowing through you is not just it's how you manage it and how you spend it and where you spend it and what you say to other people about what you do with money and, and I think that's really important
0: mm. but there's one thing you're talking about hoarder if there isn't something coming in it's very hard to then be like okay I'm just going to give the money out because it's also figuring out what well, I mean income right And if you haven't figured that bit out, it's very hard to then, if you're that way inclined, to be the saver, the scrimper, to then give the money away. I mean, look, you know, you either you know, have lottery winners who are like, okay, great, lots of money. And then all of it is gone. Can't manage it because because they've got the money
1: but not the skills. Well, they
0: they don't have the skills, but they also haven't figured out how to either make money, make money, Mm. or create another business or figure out some kind of a a system where the money Mm -hmm. comes in, which is what I like about the analogy of of the flow because it needs to come from one place and to go somewhere as opposed to being only one directional, either in or out.
1: So one thing people don't understand about money, and I'm writing it, well, I've just finished writing it in my book, Money Matrix, which comes out next year, is that there are actually four stages, making it, managing it, maintaining it, and multiplying it. And in each one of those stages, different skills are required. If you want to multiply money, you've got to take risks. You've got to speculate. You've got to make big, bold moves. If you want to make money, we have got to figure out first, probably get out of debt first. Mm. So maybe let's, because what you've got to think about is what your base neutral is. If your base-, base neutral is you spend more than you earn, you've got to hoard a little bit more to change that. If you're the sort of person that's known as the tight-fisted, stingy one, you've got to do the opposite. So you will got to work out what your net honest base neutral is and work out, okay, it's either spending too much or not spending enough that's stopping the flow then correct those and make them more balanced. And as they become more balanced, so if you spend a little bit more when you're a hoarder, people will go, well, bloody hell, something wrong with Rob, He got dinner. I'll, I'll get the next one. And, and the world changes. Because remember, all money comes through people. Mm-hmm. And then also, bloody hell, Rob's starting to save some money. He's not coming out drinking all the time and just spending all the money. And, and so stage one is getting out of debt and figuring out where you're out of balance and then getting back into balance. And then once you've got that sorted, you've got the right balance of in versus out, i.e. you've got a bit more in than out. And then you want to work out, okay, how do I get more coming in? Because mm. if you get more coming in, when it comes into something that's broken, it's broken. So more coming in might be starting a business, doing some um, calls, evenings and weekends, getting some extra commissions or stuff like that. Um, and then over a, once you've got a good system, then you can build multiple streams of income. So I have property and content and books and audio books and YouTube and other stuff.
0: What are the qualities do you need to make money? Like um, top five.
1: Okay. You need to be very useful to enough people. valuist. A valuist, there you go. You need to be useful to enough people at something that they value. We were just talking about Charlotte Tilbury, a great example. Created monetization in many ways because obviously, you know, how people look is really important. If you're useful to one person, you're not going to make much money. If you're useful to 10 million people, whatever that utility is, you're going to make money. And to be able to be useful to enough people You've got to figure out where you are useful, i.e., have you got a good idea? Have you got a good product? Have you got a good set of skills? So there's two. Then, sales. You have to sell the thing. And there are so many coaches, consultants, trainers, and people out there who've got a nice product and they, they care, they're crap at selling. And they've got all these issues inside. They don't like rejection. They wouldn't want to be judged, you know, and all of that. See, loads of artistic people like that. That used to be me.
0: Do you have any tips on how to overcome that?
1: Just know that selling is love. As long as what you do, there is love in what you do. I couldn't sell gambling to you because there's no love in gambling for me. But there's love in talking about money and creating content. And so if there's love in what I create, I can transmute that energy to you, not in a hippie, lovey kind of way, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Love in the terms of passion and energy. And, you know, I'd be pretty confident. Like, someone wanted to come on my podcast, Harry got it sorted out. And I'm like, they need to be a sponsor. And I did a deal with him and I got him as a sponsor. I said to Harry, damn right, I'm closing him because what I've got is valuable. And, you know, when it comes to money, I'm, I'm a good seller. Um, you know I've, yeah. I've got my next book Money Matrix and I love it I'm
0: buying <laughs> and, <you> know, it <laughs> everyone
1: needs to buy yeah. it so because w- when there's no selling there's no love i.e. if you're embarrassed about what you if you, you, know, you know people say well you know, you've got to like the product well yeah you have of course because if you don't there's no love so love and energy and passion that's the best way because I don't really see selling as selling I see it as a, an exchange of energy you know, between us, like um, I'm easy to sell to. If you had a McQueen shirt, you're not selling to me; I'm buying from you. So, so then there's marketing. So selling is turning, making the transaction, but marketing is finding the person. So um, I always wanted to get married in a Tom Ford suit. I think Tom Ford is absolute. Uh, he is one. If anyone's listening and they can get me Tom Ford. <laughs> L- like we are made I-, I will be whatever I I, I might even disown Andrew Tate <laughs> to get Tom Ford oh God,
0: <laughs> I know the-, the wife of the creative director now I love she came on the podcast Tom
1: Ford I love Tom so, Ford and do you know the way he talks about his ex-partner it's just with love love Tom Ford and I always just I, I-, I get when I like someone like Radiohead or Porcupine Tree or Tom Ford or McQueen or Cartier or I'm a the biggest fan. So um, I wanted to get married in a Tom Ford suit and I got the James Bond one, the grey one, the three-piece one and I went in then and like, I thought I was just going to get a suit jacket and a pair of trousers, shoes. Apparently you need a day shirt and an evening shirt. I had the tie pin, which is a few hundred quid. The tie and then the dicky bow and I came out with about, I went in thinking the suit back, suit back then, I got married quite a while ago, was what, four, five grand? And I I spent... Eleven or twelve grand. He was a brilliant seller because he was passionate about Tom Ford. Me going into the shop and me knowing Tom Ford was marketing. So knowing the brand is marketing. Going in there and having that upsell, cross sell, all sell experience is sales. So if you combine those things I've just said together, I think I covered four. You can do very well in business. The the fifth thing I would probably say is make sure you embrace the more modern medium media of finding clients podcasts youtube tiktok threads x formerly known as twitter you know all your clients are out on all your social media because everyone's on social media so it's a great way to put your art out to the world by just showcasing it on social media i mean you're on spotify youtube iTunes. That yeah.
0: so works.
1: You're going to want to be on, of course, you, why would you not want to be on them all? Yeah. You can be seen by more people.
0: Mm. Rob, you're a fascinating person. <laughs> and so do you,
1: do you regret or are you glad? No, you I'm have very me glad,
0: on? but I, I, I did think that I would be glad to have you on the show because you're open, you're vulnerable, you're passionate, you are well read, you write. I mean, anybody who can write 20 books like is impresses me very much. And you have a lot of genuinely, not only interesting, but very valuable, valuable things to bring to the world. Valuist. You heard it here first. And I've learnt about money and relearned some of the things about money. I'm very glad that you came on the show. So thank you very much.
1: Thanks for inviting me into your home.
0: Yes. And can I have that money now?
1: Yes. There you go.
0: Can I have it all?
1: No. (laughs) But I like that you asked. If you take the 40 quid and then you go and pay it forward.
0: Yes, that's what I'm planning to do with yeah. it. Yeah.
1: All right. All great. Right. That's my fee.
0: Thank you. For being on the show. And thanks for having yeah. me on and
1: inviting me into your no, home. Amazing I think we've you. got to go now to our, to our next one, but it's been yeah. a lot of fun.
0: No, thank you. You've been listening to Anatomy of a Leader podcast. I'm your host, Maria Vorostovsky. If you haven't already, please follow and subscribe this podcast. And I'll see you in the next episode.